You're listening to the Passionate DJ Podcast, episode 12. Welcome to the Passionate DJ Podcast, where it's all about becoming a better DJ through passion and purpose. And now, your host, David Michael. everybody welcome to episode 12 of the passionate dj podcast i'm your host david michael and uh, i'm excited to be with you today and also with my friend joe pardo who is going to be uh co-hosting today uh welcome aboard joe woo, woo. <laughs> it's good to have you back uh you're our first official repeat guest but also the first person i've brought onto the podcast who will be a co-host instead of an interviewee I'm pretty excited to uh, have you on and just kind of keep the conversation going. Joe and I have uh, become pretty good friends over the past year or so. He's got a great podcast called uh, The Dreamers Podcast. Is that howtodream.co? That's correct. Yeah, howtodream.co. It's great stuff. Uh, Highly recommend you give that a listen. Uh, We actually just recorded uh, my second interview for that podcast. Not sure what episode number that is, but uh, we'll post a link to it in the show notes. We we chat pretty often. We probably get on a Skype call uh, well, once a week or so uh, just to catch up and, and let each other know what's going on in our individual worlds. And Joe, how did things go with Adventuratorium? Well, first off, I'm honored to be here as a co-host and as my you know your first repeat, uh, repeat guest. That's phenomenal yeah it, it went well i mean it, it, it could have went a lot better i i wish i had the numbers when i first launched it i was hosting it from my house on my own web server here so i didn't want to bog down my own internet so i hosted the file on google docs uh, or google drive and unfortunately i don't know how many were actually downloaded i had a lot of hits so i just kind of Figured, I don't know, I, I think it's somewhere around a 1,000 downloads. And I'm tracking it now because I host my site on a sub, uh, separate server. You know, as far as sales go, sales, not that great. It sold about 70, 80 copies. Hey, that's, uh, I know you were shooting for more than that, but I don't think that's too shabby, to be honest. No, I guess in a, in a t- day and age where people um, are like, I, I don't actually have a CD player yeah, around. Like, I don't want to pay for music. Yeah, that, well, that too. <laughs> <laughs> For those who don't remember, Adventuratorium was a super cool project that Joe did uh, that was in a similar vein to my zombie hospital project, but uh, kind of a, with a different approach where he put together a uh, kind of a storytelling mix. Very cool stuff, uh, Disney-themed recording uh, with custom art. It was a dual CD set with custom art and a nice cover sleeve, and it was, I've got mine sitting on my uh, on my record shelf displayed. It's nice and glossy. Uh, just a cool, cool little package. Um, I don't know if you've still got any of those hard copies, Joe, but I'd, I'd, oh, I'd, I got I'd, plenty of them. Okay, I'll put a link <laughs> in the show notes. I, I recommend anybody pick it up. It's pretty cool. Uh, I I appreciate you buying it. It was uh, it was great sending you out, and I you know I try to do some artwork on the on the cover of the uh, of the package to try to add value yeah. wherever you can, right? Every day, man. And by the way, I still have an extra copy of that. I accidentally got two of them. <laughs> So I'll make sure you get that back. I kind of held on to it. Joe and I were supposed to get together here a few weeks ago, and uh, it just didn't pan out. So welcome back, man. What's new with you? Oh, man. Well, the podcast, I, I'm working on my first book. 
which I don't know when it's going to be out. It's it's taking a little bit longer than I thought it would because of everything else I'm working on. Uh, working on a second show that's a old time radio drama for podcasts. Don't want to say too much about it, but it's it's coming. I have been wanting to do another project in the same vein as Adventuratorium, uh, using a different Disney movie as the inspiration and maybe a different set of type of music, uh, and, and do it, you know, do it big, but that's, you know, I, we both know how long those projects take David and I don't have that kind of time at the moment. I know you're not really giving details, but you, you mentioned uh, doing some sort of radio drama in a podcast format that really grabs my attention right off the bat, just based off of the, the types of projects that we've worked on in the past, which kind of blur the lines between, storytelling, pre- presentation of music, kind of doing the... I, I'm sure that uh, that uh, some DJs in, in my audience can find some value in that, and if if not, uh, at least some entertainment. So I would love to uh, be kept in the loop on that. That sounds exciting. Yeah, I mean, actually, the website is up now. It's thepodgeek.com. Well, I look forward to seeing where that goes. And uh, we were supposed to get together and, and jam a little bit. That's, yes. I'm disappointed we didn't get a chance to do that due to some, some family issues but uh, that we both had. Still totally down for doing that sometime. And I love uh, actually this, let's see, was it a, a week ago Tuesday um, at a local show here in Dayton. Actually, John Chappell's show, for those who remember his interview. Myself and another uh, fairly well-known local DJ uh, goes by T Rex. Played uh, it was just it was just a jam session, completely unplanned techno. You know, mixing over each other's stuff and playing off of each other's tracks and going in and out. And it was just we just did that for like four hours in front of an audience. And uh, man, it was a blast. I love playing that way. You know, as long as the other person has some sense of you know knowing how to mix and doesn't like slam <laughs> melodies over melodies and that sort of thing. It's uh yeah, it's been a while since I've gotten to play like that. Um I really would lo- would love to and I I I hope to come out uh maybe this spring. Yeah, that would uh, be- with, with with my wife this time. So uh there's there's a lot going on in uh in DJ land right now. So the Control S8 just came out. Uh, yeah. a lot of people anybody who's into tractors probably noticed that. Um I picked one up. Uh, did you did you grab one too? No, I do not use Tractor. I'm a Serato person. That's right. That's right. So you've got what, like a, a DDJ SX or something like that? I do have a DDJ SX. And your tables. I have my tables with my Serato 61. Okay. I, I couldn't remember. So yeah, I, I picked up one of those, and of course everybody was all up in arms about how jog wheels are missing and it's killing the art of DJing somehow and. And yada yada, the same arguments we've heard over and over again for any technological advancement or addition or deletion from a standard workflow. Uh, you know, everybody has to throw a fit about how it's ruining the art. It, well, it, it's constantly evolving. I, I don't. I mean, the jog wheel. Well, put it this way: I had bought uh, the Novation the thing, the Twitch, Twitch. Yeah. and I was like, "Oh my god, it's going to be awesome! I could just throw it into my bag and do this and that with it." and yeah, I ended up returning it because I, 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 when it came to like uh, making manual adjustments, mm-hmm. the jog wheel just works so much better. In fact, I, I, one thing I did pick up is the DDJ WeGo. Okay. Or is it DJ WeGo? I'm, I, yeah, I'm I know. Not, but I, I love it because, you know, it's sure it doesn't have all the 
the frills and everything that my SX has, but it fits in my bag. It fits in my DJ bag. Yeah. Um, yeah. and it can go with me for a weekend. Well, I'll tell you, I, I had the same concerns about the jog wheel. I'm not anti jog wheel by any stretch of the imagination. And I don't know how, like, the touch strips, for example, compare between Tractor and Twitch. And I, you know, I've never played on a Twitch. But first of all, the screens the screens are super cool. I'll just get that out of the way. <laughs> it is very nice to... I've, I've literally played a handful of gigs already with my laptop closed and had no problem with it. But when I'm playing at home... So the cool thing about the S8 is it's DVS enabled right out of the box. So it's already... I've got time code records and I've got tables. And since it's a standalone mixer, it's it's replaced a whole lot of equipment that I had to have before in order to play all the ways that I do. Uh, now I've got my mixer, my audio interface, my controller, all that stuff is in one box. And so now I've got that with two turntables on each side. And it's cleaned up my setup so much that I don't really miss the jog wheels at this point, um, especially when I'm connecting to some sort of rotating platters anyway. When I'm out and about, I've played both ways. I've I've had it connected to like CDJs or turntables, and then I've played uh, that show that I uh, played with T-Rex. He played on an S4. I had my S8, and it was all digital, no spinning platters whatsoever, and I had no problems with it. And we, I mean, we were live beat matching, and so yeah, it's it's one of those things, man. It's you have to find the workflow that works for you, and and I have no problem with that. I just hate when people get all caught up with. You're not a real DJ if you're not moving plastic platters around or you're not, you know, you know how I am about the you're not a real DJ argument. Over yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> well, question, how do you, how do you feel about the screens on it? I mean, obviously it looks cool. I tried to, real quick, I tried to use, uh, new marks. Mm-hmm. The NV. Yeah, the NV. Uh, while I was in New York, they had one at Guitar Center up there on 14th Street and, I kept, I couldn't do it. I kept looking up at the, at the, you know, at the laptop in front of me. It was tough. Well, I, I have not used the NV yet. And, and I'm also very invested in Tractor already. So that may have something to do with it. I'm already used to a Tractor S4 workflow, for example. But the, the way that they're, I'm really impressed by their, their UI designers because they made it such, uh, so when you touch the various knobs, it's touch sensitive so that the display changes based on what you're doing or about to do. So if I'm browsing for tracks, then it changes to a browse mode. If I'm adjusting effects on a certain track, then it slides up something on the screen that shows the level of the filter or whatever it is that I'm applying. So it, it really had the, my love for that, uh, particular mixer slash controller has a lot to do with that the thought that was put into that interface design because it makes all the difference when you've got really a little four or five inch screens i don't remember the exact size uh, that's not a lot of room to work with it's plenty for a waveform and a track title but what about all the other stuff that djs have to do you know so far i'm very impressed the only time i've had to access my laptop directly is if i need to search for a track and i guess pioneer's new multiplayer which is also coming out uh it's the the first cd list cdj <laughs> that's about to come out and that actually looks pretty cool too if you're into the the pioneer workflow um you know record box enabled all that stuff um and they actually have a touch screen with a search function so you can actually type in and do a search which i thought was a pretty cool 
way to handle that. So, you know, there's there's a lot of people that complain about uh, Serato face or, you know, laptop face where they get lost in the screen and stuff, and I get that. And you can just as easily get lost on uh, two small screens, so you do have to be careful. But I do. I, I really like it, and I really like the new the new Pioneer unit, too. I think it's cool that these different needs in the DJ realm are being addressed now instead of just building a, a bigger, more badass-looking controller with more knobs and stuff. Like, they're actually addressing workflow issues. You know, some people like to work this way, some people like to work that way, and now the controller market has matured to the point where you have a choice and, you know, being able to choose whatever fits your style of DJing, and I think that's pretty cool. Um, and I, I fully support that uh, that kind of technological advancement, for sure. I'd rather have that than uh, a handful of color effects on a Pioneer mixer, for example. I'm surprised, actually, that it took this long to get to the point where they have a CD-less CDJ. Uh, and the reason is, I mean, in 2005, six, I started using Serato. And I was, I, I, all I could think to myself was, if I'm putting this CD in to make this control noise, why do I, why can't I just have like a box that all, like, that's all it does is just make that control noise? Why not skip a step? Yeah, like, why do I need all the moving parts? Like, let's get rid of the moving parts, and we can just make it... And it, it took how many, like, what, four years before we've even started to see that type of technology come out? Which is a shame. And now it's like, okay, well, it took that many years just to get it out, and now it's maturing and getting better. What's Here's a question for you. What's the benefit at this point? Like, if you got the SZ... Right at two thousand dollars or nineteen hundred, whatever you get it for. What's the benefit of getting the C, the two CDJ Nexuses and the uh, what's the top of the line Pioneer the nine hundred like now? Yeah, the DJM nine hundred or some variant. And spending like three grand. Yeah. What what like what are you really gaining there? You know, not much, other than the you know, some people like the modularity, but you can still get that modularity in a much cheaper setup that's fully functional. Uh, a lot of it's the Pioneer tax. You know, they're, they they still have this industry standard kind of status. That's what the mega clubs have, so that's quote-unquote what you're supposed to have, uh, according to a lot of people. Um, I think that this new CDJ or XDJ or whatever in the world they're calling it, um, I think that's a good step for them because it gives... Some people still like the two decks in a mixer layout. You know, they like them as separates. Um, I get that. It's fully, you know, record box capable, so anybody who's already a Pioneer user can just plop a USB drive in, start using it. But the same goes for the SZ, the SX, and anything in their line that, you know, is outside of the, the very basic budget offerings that they have. I, I think Pioneer DJ realizes that they need to start addressing that market of people who like decks, but also realize that there's a whole lot of unnecessary redundancy that's jacking that price up, like having a mechanical CD slot that nobody uses anymore. You know, I think it's one of those things where, is it overpriced? Yeah, probably. But it depends on what you're comparing it to. Are you comparing it to a DDJSX? Are you comparing it to two CDJ2000 Nexuses and a DJM900? I think that sort of setup really still makes sense for 
big clubs and stuff where they have regular guest DJs come in using Pioneer gear, expecting Pioneer gear on their riders, technical riders, to where they can still do that without having to necessarily spend six or seven grand for a setup. If you want to be able to use the uh, the Pioneer workflow, but you want to bring your own mixer, for example, instead of being stuck with a 900 or whatever, uh, it does give you some flexibility as far as that goes, just as any modular setup does. I, I think it's pretty cool. I for Before I had the S8 was announced officially, I, I was real close to buying a set of, I guess I call them classic CDJ 900s, uh, before the Nexus came out with the uh, waveforms and stuff, getting like a used or refurbished pair of those, because I also throw shows. Um, it would be nice to have some industry standard equipment for my guests to play on, plus I could play on it, so I could kind of justify the cost. But, you know, when the S8 came out and I said, oh, this is perfect for the type of workflow I'm going towards, because I'm doing a lot more hypnotic-style mixing of dance music, grabbing loops and dragging stuff out for, you know, long periods of time and doing progression of stuff instead of uh, slamming stuff back and forth um, like I was for a while. It really just made sense for me to have that kind of access to the remix sets, have an external mixer, have a really good controller, and have it all be one box. But had I known that that Pioneer unit was coming out, I might have at least given it some thought. I'll be lucky if I bring, you know, some DJ into town and he's like, okay, and I need a Control S8, <laughs> you know. But <laughs> I'm to that point where I, I know enough people where I could borrow or rent and barter and steal to... <laughs> <laughs> to accomplish that, so yeah, it's it's cool that the market's trying to fill all those those needs, and instead of just adding more effects buttons or or whatever. And I really think that the the screens on the units themselves. I, I don't know about the NV because I've never used it. I don't know how useful that is, but uh, the way that the S8 is and and the Pioneer stuff, I think it makes sense to do that. And some people still really like the uh, laptopless DJ booth which Pioneer is is, uh, trying to stay relevant and keep up with the functionality of all these controller-based setups while still providing that option. So, Joe, uh, I have an email from a reader, and this is uh, actually an email exchange that I had with somebody who is a member of my VIP list, uh, which is just my my email mailing list for my uh, most valued readers. Which I'm a member of, and everybody should be a member of. Kind of a, a bonus content uh, for people who are interested in getting that stuff delivered to their inbox. You know, it's not just uh, me spamming you or providing links to stuff I already posted. I try to send unique stuff uh, for those who are interested. And I do get replies to those emails, and I try to at least eventually respond to them, uh, though it sometimes takes me longer than I would like to admit. Um, and this comes from somebody who is a member of the VIP list and replied to an email that I sent out, and it actually addressed Ego. So this is the uh, initial email that I sent out to the list. So give me a name, Joe, a name of any male any male name. Uh, Jim. Jim. Okay, so we're going to call this person Jim. And the reason I'm changing names to protect the innocent is because uh, this is somebody who wrote about things that are kind of specific to their own hometown and I I don't want to be the catalyst that causes like <laughs> some kind of local beef or something like that. 
this is not in my hometown, though, just to be clear. So this it's, is, it's a lot of power, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah <laughs> Creating beef across America or even the world. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to, like, start the next East Coast, West Coast hip-hop battle. So we'll, we'll call him Jim. Um, Jim writes in to um, kind of keep me honest, I think. Uh, so I'll, I'll let you know what uh, – I'll, I'll read this and we can see what you think. So the initial email I sent goes like this. Hey, Jim. There is one single thing that will ruin your DJ career, reputation, your love for the craft, even your local scene, faster than you can say rewind. Can you guess what it is? It's a single word. A very small word. Three little letters, in fact. That's right. Ego. As a reader of PassionateDJ.com and a listener of the podcast, I'm sure it goes without saying you hold strong opinions when it comes to the world of DJing. After all, that's what passion is. The problem that we often will run into is the one who takes this to the extreme and becomes a diva. You've all met that DJ, probably more than once. And what a tragedy this is. After all, when you think about it, what does the DJ with a huge ego do? Not only does he or she repel the very people they wish to attract, but they belittle both their audience and their DJ peers. I wrote a little nice, nice little post about this a while back, which I'd love for you to check out, and I provide the link in the email. Here's a quote which I pulled from that article and sourced from elsewhere. To have self-respect is to have neither too high nor too low an opinion of oneself. It is to value one's integrity, and so on and so on. So I go on talking about this self-respect and and that sort of thing and and checking your ego at the door as it relates to DJing. And then I end the the email with, "Let's let's all get over ourselves, shall we? Respectfully, David. Okay, so a lot of the stuff that I talk about on passionate dj is you know centers around this kind of positive interaction amongst djs promoters patrons whoever it is uh, jim writes back as a response to this email and i hope you'll uh, be patient with me as i read it david just a couple comments most of the articles i have recently read from you circle around the don't be an asshole idea i'm part of a facebook group of local promoters it is a gallery of condescending rants by extremely obnoxious people with egos larger than our state. You've been in this longer than me. How do you cope with this idea? I personally decided to avoid dealing with those people. I'm a quite successful person in other areas of my life. I know how it feels to be accomplished and know what working efficiently is. Because of that, I do not accept the idea of having to, deme- having to demean myself to earn seniority privileges in the local scene. That is one reason I moved more into production. People that are privileged in the scene here have not earned that privilege by offering quality. I believe most of them have taken advantage of other privileges that they may have while using an aggressive attitude against their competition. So with all of this, don't you think that the idea that you are preaching of being a good person first, working hard, and offering a quality product is unrealistic and ineffective, even when it is morally correct? I know that my popularity as a producer can be greatly enhanced by artificially inflating my popularity. I know the quality of my product is not crucial for a successful and profitable release. I know that hanging around powerful people in the entertainment sector will land me bigger gigs. Do you believe you are offering relevant advice or just telling people what they want to hear? The work hard, be passionate, and you will succeed story. This is not a critique of you. I believe you are a quite idealistic person that is well-educated and has good morals and ethics. It is just for me to understand more that situation from a more experienced, trustworthy source. Cheers, Jim. 
Jim is essentially saying, yeah, all that nice uh, fluff and positive interaction stuff is all well and good, but is it effective? Is that the best way to the top? Or is it just the right thing to do? What do you think about that, Joe? You know, I I try to help people in every way I can. And I have attracted a lot of the right kind of people over time. It, it takes time, right? Because there's plenty of assholes out there that are willing to take advantage of you and take advantage of what you're willing to do for them and will never reciprocate. And I've seen it time and time again. But at the end of the day, those are the people that you don't really want to attract in the first place. And it's really difficult to deal with them because you're, you, you feel like you're walking a fine line, right? Trying to be like yourself and at the same time trying to, uh, you know, attract bigger names to get yourself bigger without being disgenuous to you or the other, other people around you. It's, I, I think and I believe that over, it, it just takes time. You know, uh, and if you're stuck in a local scene where a lot of people are like that, you know, sometimes you, sometimes you have to play the game. And I'm not saying be mean. I'm saying you have to know that others are going to do that to you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it, it is part of it. And it's a shame. But, you know, at the same time, in a local scene, there's only so many places to DJ and everybody and their brother wants to be a DJ and are willing to do it for for next to nothing or for nothing at all. And it makes it really, really difficult for you to do that. And it's it's tough. But at the same time, I I like where where Jim has gone and he took a different he's he's ultimately taken a different route, which I, I feel that's just the next step anyway for DJs. I mean, that's why I bought my machine that's upstairs that I have yet to actually really use because of time. But at the same time, uh, I don't know how old Jim is, but I mean, I would tend to think that he he probably was ready to make that next step anyway. Yeah. Um, Not to justify him, you know, moving on from the DJ scene. Yeah, I, uh, I'm kind of that backwards guy that uh, started in production and then moved towards DJing. Without making any hits, <laughs> it's normally the only time that happens. <laughs> uh, and and I I want to make it clear that uh, I I really appreciate this this email from Jim uh, because I think it's important to to be kept honest when uh, when I'm talking about these kind of things and it's it's forced me to take a look at myself and the stuff that I present and say okay is this really the message I want to pass along to my listeners I still think it is. But I like having the discussion. I think it's a, a discussion worth having uh, because this is, you know, it, it's not all going to be sunshine and rainbows out there by any stretch of the imagination. That's not uh, strictly related to DJing. I mean, in, in any kind of pursuit, especially a passion-based pursuit, uh, you know, I mean, if you think about what that really means, I mean, you are emotionally driven to... Uh, to do this or to perform or to uh, create, what ends up happening is you end up with a whole lot of passionate people in one place with differing opinions. That's when ego really can take off. And I think it's probably more common for uh, this ego thing to be a problem than not. I think uh, I'll go ahead and read my response to Jim. Well, hold on, hold on one second there. Sure. Sure. You know, what, what's the alternative? You write articles about how to be an asshole? 
or how to be fake to people, you should be yourself and you should own it. So if, if being an asshole is the, the way that you want to project yourself to everyone, it's going to wind up biting you in the ass in the end. It always does. And it might take days, weeks, years, months, whatever. But it usually winds up because, you know what, they wind up being fake to the wrong person that has, that's over them. Because there's always somebody above you. Right. There's so, and then it, at the, even when you're at the top, even when you're Tiesto, the person that's, that's over him is his fans. If everybody said, I don't want to listen to Tiesto tomorrow, who the hell is he? He's nobody. Right. So your articles would not be about being a passionate DJ. It would be like how to make money at DJing. I bet you if we Googled that, we'd find tons of articles of people explaining it. And I'm sure they would try to, you know, be genuine or whatever, but people that would be reading them, might not necessarily be genuine about wanting to be a DJ for the love of music and making people dance. Yeah, and and I have no problem with making money DJing either, but you know, I I being that it's it's passionatedj.com, that URL itself implies that okay, this is something that I care about and that my audience cares about. You know, I feel like I I would be doing a disservice to my craft if I approached it any other way. Because I feel like, you know, there's a, a saying, there's there's two ways to build the tallest building in town. You can build the tallest building or you can crush all the other ones down. I much prefer to stand tall uh, rather than try to tear other people down because that's, that's just the way that I am. It's the way I was raised. And even if it's not the only way, I feel like it's the best way. I kind of get into that in my reply, but it's, you know... I'm not saying whatsoever that, well, there's two things I'm not saying. The first is that um, if you are nice and uh, smile a lot, then you're just going to like become a world-class, uh, well-known DJ. Uh, nor am I saying that this is the only way to gain success. Because I am passionate about this thing, I want to, I want to treat it as such. I want to uh, nurture any part of the scene that I can um, as if it's something I care about because I do. And I feel that ego and like public call out stuff and beefs that people like to do and then arguing over who's a real DJ and who's not and yada, yada, yada. You know what I mean? I feel like that does a disservice to all of us. I feel like we're just tearing ourselves down by doing that, whether it's at a local level or on some famous DJ's Twitter account or whatever it is. I just feel like that positive interaction is going to further lead into more positive interaction. And I think that's a better way to go forward, even if it's uh, maybe not the quickest route for a particular person. You know, and, and you mentioned earlier about money. Well, we talked earlier about how much this equipment costs and how much your skill is worth and the amount of time. I mean, I remember DJing and I'd be at these parties and these girls would be like, Oh man, it must be so cool to DJ. And this is like 2004, 2005. I, you know, I was 10 years younger. Um, and I'm like, you know, it's, it's all fun and games till everybody's too drunk to help me carry the shit out. <laughs> <laughs> you know, whether cause I want them to not touch myself cause I don't want them to drop it or, or whatever. But, you know, it's not very glamorous, uh, especially when you're, you're doing lots of like little parties and basement parties and stuff like that, where you might only be making like 50 bucks or whatever it is. Cause that's all you can, that's all you can charge. Cause otherwise they're just not going to either have anybody and then you don't get the practice, you know? So uh, you can you gotta, you, you gotta make some kind of money. 
so it's it is what it is when it comes to that. It's not nothing to be ashamed of. But at the same time, you don't have to be you know an asshole to to make that happen. Though I will I will say most people who are what millionaires and billionaires are probably pretty ruthless because they didn't get that way by being passive nice yeah but well uh, nice maybe but passive you're right i think that's a better word passive nobody in my audience that i'm aware of uh, i could be completely wrong but no nobody's like making millions off of this whole djing thing right so i know why the secret to that is throwing cakes in people's faces (laughs) inflatable rafts i think oh oh my god yeah (laughs) i've been doing it wrong this whole time joe (laughs) Um, I, I think that there is a lot of merit in the idea that a lot of us really are in this priority one is, you know, this it's for the love. And we talk about that all the time. We talked about this a lot in the last episode with uh, Tony and Billy, the whole labor of love thing. If I'm investing so much time and thought and stress and sometimes money into something like this, then it behooves me to treat it well. Why why do I want to cause myself a whole bunch of anxiety by being some some big jerk for something that's not making me into a millionaire, for example? I'm in this for a reason, and when ego starts coming into the picture, that reason starts to go away. I'm not enjoying myself. I'm just fighting with people or, what, or getting screwed over or whatever. And I, I've taken the approach that, you know what, I let... I let all that uh, muscle flexing, pissing contest stuff, I watch from afar. I try to be a leader, you know what I mean? And I, I wish more people would do that. And not not in the sense that they're collecting people, uh, a posse and uh, followers, but just setting an example of, hey, you can do this and, and not be a jerk. You can be a humble DJ, believe it or not. It's one of those things where, you know, if you believe that DJing is an art form, you're dealing with people's own creations or interpretations of things. And it's hard to not want to defend that the way that you feel about that stuff, uh, because we are passionate about it. That's, after all, why we're here talking about this. Having that passion doesn't mean that you want to give the time of day to every jerk that wants to, to yank you around. Is that a way to the top? I don't know. I, I don't think that that directly, you know, being particularly gruff and an egomaniac um, is what causes the success in those people. I think they're motivated, even if it's for the wrong reasons or different reasons than mine. I think that they are action. You know, they take action. And I think that 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 hustle, no matter where that hustle comes from, is what's getting them success. But my point is, you know, I would just much prefer for my hustle to be building each other up. And I, I think you make a good point with the, you know, not nobody's getting, well, very few people are becoming millionaires from this. And I would I would equate it to I, I play men's league roller hockey, and some people take it way more seriously than other people. I mean, I enjoy it. I play it. I, I you know, do what I got to. But at the end of the day, I'm not going to play like an asshole like some of these people or get in your face after the fact yeah. and or or throw big hissy fits cuz you didn't win where you won't even like shake the other guy's hands after the after the game like dude it's mentally hot. I'm like I'm going I'm going to go back to doing work after I leave here are you serious like I, I'm not worried about some big you know big time contract cuz I didn't win people people get 
defensive when they feel like their viewpoint or methodology or whatever is being attacked. Uh, even when it's not, I think that it just a switch flips when they hear something they don't agree with and they feel the need to immediately defend it. You know, I take the same kind of approach to anything I'm interested in. Um, if, if, if I'm playing, uh, you know, like Xbox with my buddies, you know, I'll, I'll definitely get competitive. I might even talk smack. But at the end of the day, if I, if I get beaten, you know, well, it was all fun and games. And some people, they just get like, I, there were a couple people that me and my buddy used to play with that if they would start losing or they felt like they were slighted in some way, they would just throw their hands up and start cussing and rage quit. And it's like I see that exact parallel in the DJ world all the time. And it's like, why why do you care so much about those negative aspects? Why not just do what you want to do and try to interact positively with other people who respond well to that? And, I mean, if the argument's being made that that is not a way to, to build up a scene or to advance one's career... I have to disagree because I'm seeing this happen in my local scene right now. Dayton has grown its dance scene exponentially over the past year or two, largely due to a few of us getting together and just making things happen and working with each other and passing work to each other and lifting each other up and having these positive interactions. And the people who were uh, doing what Jim was saying were harmful to the scene and almost destroyed it i get where his concern is for sure but the implication that uh this can't work i just have to disagree with i mean groups like three-dimensional for uh here in dayton are just doing worlds of good i i watch this and i see a lot of behind the scenes stuff because i'm friends with them but you know they really do work with everybody they can who has a positive attitude and wants to do something for dayton's scene and it's done nothing but good for it. But you still see people complain about stupid stuff that they're completely uninformed about, usually. But, you know, people have some complaint about this or that. And it's like, why don't, why don't you contribute instead of tearing people down? Because typically the people who complain about ego the most are like the biggest egomaniacs ever. <laughs> and so it's it's one of those things where you have to constantly check yourself, which is why I appreciate Jim's email, because that kind of gives me an excuse to, to be like, okay, am I really presenting what is the most useful tool set for, uh, you know, aspiring DJs and promoters? Um, I just think it's a better way, man. I've got an email response uh, that I sent back to him, uh, back to Jim, which I'd like to read if you don't mind. Yeah, go ahead. I say, hey there, Jim. Uh, now, I should say I probably address a lot of what we've already talked about in here, but he has a response after this, so... Uh, it's a little bit of setup, but I love this question as it's something that I that's never really come up before. It provides me with an opportunity to evaluate how I present my information, my thoughts on self-promotion. I decided to sleep on it so I could give you a good response today. I don't necessarily think that there's anything wrong with your approach. I don't like dealing with egomaniacs either. So your approach has been to maintain your integrity and focus on production, which you are starting to see little bits of success in. Congrats, by the way. Uh, we've exchanged some emails about that in the past. That's how I knew that. So the fact that the group, the Facebook group that uh, Jim references, the fact that it exists at all is fairly telling. It means that there was, in fact, an ego problem and that at least some of them realize it. The first step to recovery is admitting you have a problem. So at least there's that. 
As for my approach and my message, no, I don't feel that it is unrealistic and ineffective. However, I also realize that there is more than one way to skin a cat. Many people have built entire careers around being egotistical. Dead mouse tends to come to mind for some reason. My thought on the matter is that focusing on providing value, delivering quality, and being a positive and uplifting force for your scene or niche is a better way, not the only way. Perhaps it's a message that some people in your group need to hear, but it's also important to keep our own egos in check. I never want to be that guy saying, I'm way more humble than that guy. All that being said, you make an excellent point. I should also be careful not to imply that my philosophy guarantees any level of success. There are a lot of factors that come into play, not simply being nice. I will say one thing. It is a lot more pleasant for everyone involved if that's the route that they take. That's my attitude towards the subject. What do you think? Really appreciate you checking me and helping keep me honest, David. So, yeah, that, w- that was another point that uh, I wanted to make. There are a lot of factors that come into play. Being nice isn't necessarily a direct strategy. It's kind of a... Uh, a way to handle all your strategies, you know what I mean? It's, what? why not be nice? Why not be positive and helpful? And uh, rather than, you know, fluffing up your own feathers and, and trying to be a badass, I just don't see that as being effective. Um, the argument's being made that it is. I, like I said, I don't think that comes from a place of whether or not you're being a jerk. I just think that uh, the relationships that you build along the way will be a lot more meaningful ones and a lot more productive ones, taking the the humble approach. Jim replies, I don't completely agree with your point. Although it is easy nowadays to call oneself a DJ, it is now much harder to be relevant as one. We'll agree with him there. Yeah. In the old times, just by having the equipment, you would have a shot at scoring a decent gig. Some people still hang to that mentality to get business and use top-of-the-line setups to rock the fox at a wedding. I was at one recently in another city. Two douchebags had three CDJ2000s as MIDI controllers for Serato hooked to a Rain 64 mixer with a Pioneer RMX1000 and an extra computer running Ableton with a push controller. I was impressed by all that equipment, even talked to them and found out they were huge jerks. Did a bit of research after just to find out that they only do weddings and play crappy ghetto party nights at a college bar, but they look like the real deal. So... If you want to be completely fair, uh, he's almost getting a little egotistical there. <laughs> Is that fair to say? Well, I mean, I didn't meet those guys, but um, they certainly spent a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I get what he's saying, but I mean, who am I to say who's the real deal or not? But whatever floats their boat, if they want to spend all that money and stuff, I don't think that necessarily makes them a good or a bad DJ. But I see what he's saying. He's uh, People are trying to buy their way into relevance there uh so which is funny because no one at that wedding probably other than him knows anything about what they were looking at nobody cares and they unpacked way too much equipment for a wedding (laughs) yeah absolutely he goes on to say since there are so many people available being just a dj is not relevant the skills you mentioned of reading the crowd the sense of tension and release and the track selection balance are only relevant to knowledgeable persons who are a minority in the audience Most people are inherently stupid. They go where they are told to go. They follow who others follow. So relevance nowadays is about hype. Uh, Let's address that paragraph because I get what he's saying. 
I don't know that I necessarily ag- agree because that tends to be a problem of not finding your audience. Is it true that most people are going to just go to whatever place their friends are going? They're going to want to expect to hear the same music that's on the radio and that sort of thing. Sure, but why are you playing to that crowd then? Certainly you can find somewhere where that's not expected, especially with you know, even if that, that place, quote-unquote, is, is online. You know, I ran a, a little weekly radio show for a while, and I played what I wanted, and it was fun, and the people dug it. And, you know, it's it's about finding that audience, I think. I, I think that's a separate issue, personally. I don't know what you think about that, Joe. I think finding an audience is, is really tough. I You know, ten years ago, I got into DJing with vinyl, and, you know, I was buying up all kinds of house records and, you know, borderline techno records and lots of trance songs and stuff like that on record on vinyl. And... You know, there were so many times where I would show up to parties and stuff like that, and I nobody wanted to hear any of that, <laughs> especially 10 years ago. So, you know, when I would show up to a party and I had all, you know, expecting to, like, oh, I just got to bring all my hip-hop records. Uh, and then I, I remember there was, like, one party, they're like, oh, yeah, like, do you have any dance music? And I'm like, well, I, I, I brought the, the hip-hop and the rap music. And they're like, no, 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 dance music. I'm like, I left, like, three crates of that at home. <laughs> Uh, why did I do that? Because I was not expecting, you know, what, of course that was before I could just feel like do, 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 do right up in my laptop and, and throw it up in Serato and go. But I think it, 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 I think that it comes back to like, uh, what I was saying a little bit earlier where it's like you will eventually attract those people. Uh, but finding, finding those places to play can be very difficult. If you're very into a certain type of music or, you know, like you're only doing mashups of like, say, you know, t- like current day music with like 80s or, or early 90s music, some people just don't, they just want to hear it the way they want to hear it. And, and those types of audiences, while you can build them, will take a, you know, a long time to build them. Yeah. And if you're in a small town, uh man, you it's tough too because you know, you could say, Oh, well, you should just, just move to New York or move to LA and, and you know, but then your your relevancy even goes further down because there's that many more people, but there's that many more opportunities too. But I just love the concept of of being so great that they can't not notice you. You know, doing something that's so different, that's so unique to what you do because uh, you know at the end of the day like especially with dance music if i mean if you're just playing the songs then you're basically at this point you're doing it wrong right i mean whereas 10 years ago if you had two two uh two turntables and and records that was really all you had the option to i mean maybe you had uh, you know a pioneer effects machine where you could add some effects here and there but for the most part like that's all you could really do and now it's like it's almost like you're expected to build the song live in Ableton every single time in front of people. Yeah, I mean, it, it, that is definitely a fair point because it's it's easy for me to say, well, just go where your audience is. Well, that's a lot easier said than done in a lot of cases, and it's taken me years and years and years to find that. I'm still finding that audience, you know. So I don't mean to imply that that's it's something really easy to just flip a switch and then your problems are solved. But I I don't think that that means that the skill of the DJ is irrelevant. I guess it depends on what your... 
first of all, what your goal is. If your goal is uh, numbers or uh, like number of heads in the room or money or or whatever, um, it, maybe it shifts your perspective on this. But well, let's see. He goes on to say, how can you explain the popularity of places like? And then he mentions several club nights in his town. Here in my city, they play shit music, and they get a crowd an order of magnitude larger on a random weekend than the good underground events. Our regular DJs at those events suck, yet they have more popular credibility as DJs than many others around. They don't care about those skills you mentioned. When they play, the place will be packed, and the people will dance even if you scratch to Kenny G, just because all others are there and people have to follow what is hyped. That is the eternal struggle, I get it, but... You know, at the same time, it's like, well, how many – we're talking about the U.S. right now, okay? U.S. is obviously on this huge, like, dance music EDM incline thing still, whether it's that or Top 40 or, or whatever. Sure, there's going to be some popular night for the most popular kind of music that is going to attract – you know, there's going to be the most popular college night or whatever in town. They need to have a DJ, so whoever's playing that music to those kids or those people – Sure, maybe they're going to get some more attention because they're playing the the most, you know, to the lowest common denominator, if you will. They're playing the easy stuff to the people, to the biggest audience. But at the same time, how many other local DJs are out there who are playing that same kind of top 40 radio music who aren't having any success? You don't see the guy who's trying to be a rock star who's struggling in his basement. That doesn't just happen in, with underground music. You know, that happens with popular music, too. So just because there's some club night that's seeing success doesn't mean that you have to go that route to be a successful anything. DJ, promoter, whatever. Well, yeah, I mean, it depends on what you're, you're like you said, the, the definition of success. And defining success can be hard because a lot of times it's like, oh, well, success will be when I make enough money to not have to work a day job. But I know plenty of DJs in, in my local scene, uh well, local scene, I would say no one can see my air quotes, <laughs> that, you know, they all work day jobs. You know, and, and they play some of the biggest clubs around here. You know, it just, it just isn't enough money in any one particular area uh to make, you know, to make it work. I think that what's really important as far as trying to be relevant I, I don't know i mean you you have to you have to be nice you should be nice to everybody i mean because you know life is short and we only get so long to be here so i just try to be nice but but even more than nice helpful you know there's a there's a certain balance between being helpful and at the same time spending too much time being helpful you know, your, your time is valuable. So, you know, to offer some advice or, or, you know, do little things for people. One of my mentors, he DJs for a prominent radio station in Delaware. And that's what he does. And he does like the local events, like they, when they don't you know, go out on the scenes and stuff. But he told me, he's like, you know, I wouldn't have had that if I didn't help, you know, all these different people along the way who, yeah, there was a lot of people that stepped on me. A lot of people never came back, you know, never came back to my time to, to shine, but it, it, it was that one person who get, you know, he gave me the shot, you know, years after I had helped him get on his way. Yeah. If, if I'm maybe so bold to say so, I think that maybe Jim is, is kind of maybe projecting a little bit here because of his experience in his own hometown, because somebody who some people have met some level of success 
um, and haven't had to necessarily get there by the same means that that Jim would have. We also never see all sides of the story. Who knows how they really got to the position that they're in. But, you know, he goes on to, to say, how can you explain the popularity of places like this and that, this club night and that club night, where they have these DJs who are playing, you know, whatever crappy music and aren't that skilled. And, you know, it's it's also important to realize that, well, first of all, how can you explain the popularity of the nights that Dayton's having right now? I mean, my town is is going the opposite direction, where our underground is strengthening, and there's not, that I'm aware of, any real solid quote-unquote popular music nights going on, and our underground is growing, and we're taking the positive networking approach here. I, I definitely, where I see where he's getting, at, where, what he's getting at here, but I just don't, I just don't agree. I think that A, it can work, and B, it's the uh, most enjoyable way to do so. He goes on to say, uh, this comes back to the same comment I gave you some time ago, some time ago, are you giving advice to help people succeed in the scene, or just telling them what they want to hear to keep their unrealistic dream alive. Um, as always, I'm not trolling. I'm just, I believe I am just honest. People who want to succeed need to understand all this and develop strategies to bypass or take advantage of these issues. Um, and I agree. And I, I'm not at all hurt by him bringing this up. Well, I mean, we're talking about it and that's, I mean, that's something, right? I think that it's great that you decided to bring it out and, and talk about it openly because uh, it, it does kind of, you know, it does kind of call you out a little bit in a polite manner, but it's still like... And that's okay. People can call me out if they want. Yeah, hey, at least they're interacting with you. That's that's hard to get, man. Yeah, well, and I appreciate that, that Jim cares enough about this issue to write me, you know, paragraphs upon paragraphs about it. He's not attacking me, you know. Big time. Big time. It's a huge difference. I mean, it's yeah, let's open a dialogue about this. This is worth talking about. And so now we're having a positive dialogue about it. So I guess it's kind of a case in point scenario. Am I telling them what they want to hear to keep their unrealistic dream alive? Well, shoot, I hope not. Uh, What I hope that I'm doing is telling them the best way I know how to move forward and then showing how it's working for me. Because it's not like I'm some big prolific DJ either. I'm not all that well known outside of my local scene and, you know, my readership. So I, I kind of like to use myself as a test case. Okay, let me try this and see what happens. Let me try this and see what happens. This will give me something to write about. Uh, so I, I hope that people don't perceive me as just giving them a lot of fluff, kind of like the uh, get-rich-quick scheme types out there floating around the Internet that try to lure you in by appealing to your emotions and then selling you some unrealistic dream. Uh, that's definitely not what I hope to do. I hope that nobody thinks that. Well, I mean, I definitely don't think that. And I, I think that a lot of it can also be, you know, if you're looking at other people and you're like, oh, man, they're, they're so more so much more successful than I am. I mean, there's so many factors in that. You know, how long have they been doing it? Did they know some of these people prior to becoming a DJ? Maybe they grew up with some of these people. You know, were they in the right place at the right time? Yeah, and I think it's also fair to mention that th- there are two different ways to view the act of DJing. One is as a performance and one is as a service. And I think that you're talking apples and oranges when you're discussing the typical college bar versus uh, some techno night or underground hip-hop night or something like that, where the, the DJ is is kind of doing something artful in some way or trying to 
present music uh, with a certain... They're not just playing the hits, I guess, is, is what I'm getting at. And whereas uh, in the first scenario, you know, they're being paid to... Their popularity is not necessarily because of what they're doing. It's because of where they are. You know, Bar X has built this night, and they happen to be the DJ playing the music everybody came there to hear. If that DJ disappeared from that bar and they hired somebody else, then they would have the same quote-unquote success, success as that last person. As long as they don't suck. <laughs> well, apparently the, the people that are there suck already. You know, it's <laughs> what I get from the email. <laughs> Um, but and he's right. Yeah, but it sucks in what in whose mind, like in whose mind, right? In the technical DJ's mind, or in, uh, you know, Joe Blow's mind. Because when I go out and I see DJs, you know, I'm listening. Like, hey, how's this? How's this mix doing? Are they actually doing anything? Or are they just standing up there? What's the deal? Like, what what's going on? And I'll talk. Like, I'll be like, oh, Melissa, my wife. Uh, you know, what What do you think of this? It should be like, oh, it sounds great. And I'm like, ugh, ugh. Like, mm, no, it doesn't. It really doesn't sound good at all. Um, but, you know, she doesn't know any better. And just like 99% of the people out there don't know any better. It takes a trained ear and it takes a lot, well, a lot of passion <laughs> to, uh, to know and to, to even care. Like, even at a wedding, I'll be like, man, this, this guy, he's trying to mix, but he should just stop. He should, he shouldn't, he shouldn't be doing it because he's not doing it right, or he's not doing well enough, or he's not even trying. He's just like, yeah, he'd but, be doing better if he wasn't. But who, but who cares? You, right. me, yep. you know, yeah, like the one percent. So yeah, so I definitely get what he's what he's getting at there. But at, I mean, this this can be found in uh, the world of, of bands too. Like if you have a night. Uh, where you, you go to see a band play and they're playing Freebird and, you know, like cover, the cover band, they're going to get a lot more interaction from the typical crowd that's just going to the bar. Uh, they're not going to really probably respond to the originals that they don't recognize. And that's the same thing that's happening here. So you've got your originators, the people that, the bands that originally played the music and created the hits, and then you've got the people who are playing those covers. People recognize those songs, so they get interaction. And then you've got your people who are doing this as an art form, and they have the hardest road. Um, but they also get followers. They get fans. You know what I mean? Yeah, you can have a cover. You can be a fan of a cover band, but you're more likely to to build a fan base by creating. But it's hard. I mean, it's just hard to do that. So yeah, we're we're picking the harder road by choosing this. I'm doing. I'm performing a craft. I'm doing art here. I'm trying to connect with my audience in some certain way. That's always going to be harder, and so be it. Yeah, I mean, when you say that, like, there's a couple cover bands around here. I mean, one is bigger than than any of them, and they've been going, I think, 15 or 20 years or something. They just celebrated a few years back that they've been going. It's a big. I mean, they have the brass section and it's huge and it's they're they're a lot of fun to watch and they also command a huge dollar price but when you break that dollar price down this is like between 12 to 15 people it's not really that much money but you definitely hit it on the head with the fact that people who who are like me and like you where we're doing it as an art form i remember trying to have to explain this to my dad once because i told him i was like i don't want to do family events anymore I'm, I'm done. Like, I'm done with this. It's like, I'm tired of taking requests. I'm tired of being told what to do. And then when, you know, so I took like, I don't know, six months off from DJing. And when I came back out, 
you know, and started doing mixes again. He's like, oh, I thought you gave up on DJing. I'm like, no, I didn't give up on DJing. I gave up on wanting to do bull crap, you know, events, especially for family, where I wasn't making any, like, much, if any, money, and I wasn't able to enjoy my family time because I was busy DJing and being told, well, you should be playing this. Why aren't you playing that? Why are you playing this? That kind of stuff was was just something I wasn't going to do anymore, and I, I really haven't done that anymore. But the art form is something that I've continued to maintain and, and will continue to maintain for many, many years to come. And Most DJs either want to uh, start some kind of DJ, like mobile DJ business, or they want to express them, or they want to play at a nightclub as a paid gig uh, residency, or they want to do this art form thing. Those are not hard lines, obviously. I'm not, I don't, definitely don't mean to imply that you are, are not uh, performing art based on the kind of music you play or, or anything like that. I'm just bringing up there, that there are a couple schools of thought towards what people think that DJs do or should do. Maybe if I were willing to play, uh, these kind of gigs that he's talking about, I feel like I would do a better job than those people would do, and I would probably have the same level of quote unquote success, whatever that is, at that club. But that's not what I'm aiming for. I'm aiming to build this like relationship with my audience and people like who get what I'm trying to do. I'm not in this primarily as a money making venture, and some people are. And that you know, all these things are going to adjust how we feel about our approach. But I don't think that there is there is any case where it is beneficial to be a jerk. I just think that there are other factors in play, and some jerks have happened to get in the spotlight. I don't think that, that that's uh, causation. <laughs> yeah, I mean, people people try to, sometimes they'll put on a, a facade for a while, and, and I guess it really just comes out later if if the people that they did that facade to figure it out before, you know, they're, they have a fan base and, and they move on, you know, to bigger and better things. As, as I, I'm one that's, uh, I'm an idealist like you, David, where, you know, everything should be, everything should be nice and treat each other the way we, we all want to be treated. Uh, and, and it's all, it's all roses and rainbows and unicorns, but I know that life isn't fair. So for me, what I do is I just try to make it as fair as I'm able to have control over. Being nice definitely isn't enough. You know, he's saying that I'm preaching the idea of being a good person first, working hard, offering a quality product, and he calls that, or he suggests that it might be unrealistic and ineffective, even if it's morally correct. The the only time that that's going to be ineffective is if you're building those relationships with people who are not like that, people who are going to step on you and take advantage of, of that position. If you're building relationships between people like you and I and uh, myself and Tony and Billy and Tony and Billy and the people that they deal with for their shows, um, you know, you start building this network of positivity. It's amazing what can happen at that point. But if you bring that wrong person into the fold, you can't just assume that they're going to be uh, the way that you are and you're eventually going to get screwed over. And whether or not they see some level of success external to that, I think, is irrelevant. I, I still think that's uh, cancerous. Yeah, oh, it definitely is cuz they'll, you know, those types of people will turn everybody against you like like that. And you know, I've I've dealt with it plenty of times and a lot of times I just wind up not 
calling those people. <laughs> you know, I just yeah. I do try to avoid them. But in a local scene, I know that's hard because you're still doing what you want to do with, and you still have to deal with those people. It's very difficult, especially if you don't want to kiss people's asses, because that's generally what ends up happening with those ego uh, maniacs. Is you have to kiss their ass to make them, you know, want to give you the time of day, and you shouldn't have to do that. But and if you're in this for the love, then why do you want to spend all your time doing that? And you know, I I can only speak based on my own experience. And I, I do not claim to have any exorbitant amount of experience or authority on the subject. But coming from my perspective, I've seen this. These negative, egomaniac people can destroy a scene solely. And these positive people have helped pick up the pieces and build it into something sustainable again. And I've, I've seen this cycle through three or four times in my hometown. You know, it, it's hard for me to not think that this is this is beneficial for our little ecosystem here is to to support each other and lift each other up rather than tear each other down or ignore each other that doesn't mean that people aren't going to slip through the cracks or make something of themselves or or whatever man it just sounds like a miserable way to do it to me yeah you could do so much more with more with people than just trying to go on it at your own especially with events i mean you put on events i've put on events it's a huge undertaking for somebody for something that comes out so basic and seems so like it should just fall in the place. There's so much stuff that goes involved and so many people involved and need to be involved. Oh yeah, and when you're when you're trying to put on events like that and the amount of stress and anxiety that goes into something like that, especially if you're trying to do it at a larger scale than your last show, uh you need help to be able to do that and when your help is you know somebody who stresses you out or is negative or just thinks they're hot stuff that's really a quick road to to burning you out because who wants to deal with people like that all the time it just makes you not want to do it especially if you're not getting paid right exactly or if you're not getting paid enough to deal with that <laughs> yeah, oh yeah oh totally As totally opposed to you know a show which might have the same number of problems um might have the same kind of rush. We got to run around, get the stuff done. But if you're working with people who are, are supporting you and are like-minded, that whole experience is something much different. And it makes you want to do it again. You know, it's like, wow, that was rough. When's the next one? <laughs> you know, as opposed to forget this, I'm not dealing with you jerks ever again. Um, and that right there is enough for me to, to make my case. I think that, uh, that it's, you know, beneficial for everyone involved. You know, and if people believe, and you, if you are, and people believe that you're genuine and nice and caring and give them the time of day, dude, you will make, you don't have to worry about making fans. You'll make friends and they'll go to the end of the earth for you. The, the best fans that you have are going to be friends for sure. Anything else you want to address while we're on here, Joe? The only other thing that I could think of is, Sometimes it's not about how you want to be treated to treat other people. Sometimes you have to realize how they want to be treated. You know, every person's different. And just because you want to be treated a certain way doesn't necessarily mean that they want to be treated a certain way. Also, from experience, don't make yourself look like an ass to an asshole because it's only going to get, it's only going to get worse from there. <laughs> you know, to stoop down to somebody else's level, even if you get burned, you know, yeah, it hurts. It it sucks. Uh, sometimes, like you said, entire communities can be burned because of one person. 
uh, completely tearing it down, especially if nobody else feels they have the power to say, no, this isn't right, you shouldn't be doing this. The egomaniac also tends to be overconfident, and that, that's probably the one advantage that they do have, is that confidence, and that's probably what's gotten these people, uh, Jim, to where they are. I, I just tend to think that that's, um, that's not playing the long game. No, it's definitely a marathon, especially if you're trying to create friend, uh, fans and that turn into friends, uh, and not just going to whatever the hot bar is at the time, it's important to remember that this isn't a sprint. Jim, I want to thank you so much for uh, presenting this question, helping keep me honest, and uh, not pulling any punches, but still being respectful. And, you know, I really do uh, appreciate being able to have this discussion. You know, I think it's something that's important to talk about, and uh, I definitely want to be as open and honest as I can with uh, all of you listeners. If you guys have any thoughts on the subject, I'd love to hear them. Uh, you're welcome to write to me at david at passionatedj.com. Um, or alternatively, you can uh, go to passionatedj.com forward slash ask, and there's a little widget there where you can uh, record a voicemail. Sorry, I'm doing that right now. <laughs> where you can record a voicemail and uh, send me a question, and then I will uh, directly answer that on the podcast um, in audio format. would love to hear your voices. Uh, really trying to focus on that, trying to get some of your uh, listener questions in, which, by the way, I recently opened that offer up to my VIP list, which is my mailing list, to uh, where I would review any mix of anybody's choosing if they left me a voicemail and I chose to answer it on the podcast. That's something that I'll, the, the sort of thing that I occasionally do for my uh, most valued listeners and readers. So, you know, I know how hard it is to get uh, useful feedback and, and stuff. So I try to be as objective as possible in those replies. I try to do that kind of thing for them, and I would love for you guys to be a part of that as well. So if you haven't already joined, uh, go to PassionateDJ.com, and in the sidebar on the right, there's a little sign-up form. It's free. I don't spam you or anything like that. I just send little bits of information, inspiration, and that sort of thing, and occasionally uh, make an offer to where we can help each other out. So I uh, hope you guys will take advantage of that. The list is growing, and I appreciate every single one of you. Jim, really appreciate your question, and Joe, really appreciate you being here today. Let's do it again sometime, shall we? I think people should go and sign up for your email list. Again, as a fan and a friend, I do subscribe to the list. I love reading the emails, and I really appreciate you having me on the show and, and thinking enough of me to want to help you answer this question. And thank you to Jim for writing this email uh, I, I think it's great that you have uh, enough couth and, and sincerity to write such a nice and long email about something that you really obviously are very passionate about, and that's why you're at PassionateDJ.com. It definitely shows that you care about it, and uh, really, really I, I'm taking that the right way, I think. I hope that we can continue having these kinds of dialogues, and... Uh... Joe, we'll see you next time. I'll bring you back on and uh, to do some co-hosting. I, I really like the back-and-forth interaction, so let's keep fun. that going. And don't forget to check out Joe's podcast at howtodream.co. He's, uh, he's got a great thing going there, and it's just uh, very inspirational stuff. So check it out, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Passionate DJ Podcast at www.passionatedj.com. Check out the fan page at facebook.com slash passionatedj or on Twitter at DJ with Passion. And always remember to keep on spinning.